Welcome to the Sadler Lectures podcast. Responding to popular demand, I'm converting my philosophy videos into sound files you can listen to anywhere you can take an MP3. If you like what you hear and want to support my work, go to patreon.com sadler. I hope you enjoy this lecture. In the very first chapter of book three of Epictetus' Discourses, we're treated to an interesting example that Epictetus is going to use to illustrate some broader points about personal appearance and what genuine beauty consists in. And it's, it's kind of a funny incident. This young man who has spent a lot of time on his appearance and done so in ways that's going to get him a little bit of criticism from Epictetus, who, who sees this, if you read the, the chapter, sees this as something he needs to say to the the young guy. The young man comes in and Epictetus is going to say, why don't you take a look at what you're doing here? So here's the setup to it. He was visited by a young student of rhetoric whose hair was somewhat too elaborately dressed and whose attire in general was highly embellished. And Epictetus starts in by saying, okay, let's think about this in general. Let's start with dogs and horses and things that you're familiar with in that. He says, tell me if you do not think that some dogs are beautiful and some horses and so every other creature. Now, when we're using this word beautiful, oftentimes we tend to associate that with an, only with a certain kind of attractiveness. The Greek term is kalon, or actually kalos for masculine, kale for feminine, and kalon for neuter or, or in general. And it's a much broader, think of it in terms of just general attractiveness. It also encompasses the noble, the honorable. It's got a very wide semantic range. Now, Epictetus is questioning, ultimately, whether this guy truly is Kalos, whether he really is beautiful. And the way that he is going to do it is going to suggest that certain societal understandings of beauty are not really such. And we'll come back to those implications in a bit. So Epictetus uh, gets this guy to admit that, and then he's going to give him some general principles. Among these general principles are that different beings come into being by nature. The Greek word there is actually the verbal form of phusis, right? It's uh, the part of the perfect, pefukota, right? They have arrived in, out of nature. They have developed with different functions or ends, pros alo you know, in relation to different things. And the young man says, yes, that makes sense. Horses are not designed for exactly the same thing as dogs are designed for. Moths and butterflies are designed for something different. Bees are designed for something different. Birds, very varieties of them. Falcons are designed for one thing and robins for another. We can go on and on and on. You get the general idea, right? So what makes things beautiful then? Why do we think that the things that make a horse beautiful aren't necessarily the same things that make a dog beautiful? If a dog were modeled after a horse, it would be a really strange looking dog. Well, this has to do with its function. What do we want in a dog? And again, you know, this would be an interesting thing to compare going to dog shows. What are they actually looking for in the champions that they, they put forward? Sometimes it might be rather bizarre elements to, to their appearance because some dogs are bred, I think, just for their appearance. But many dogs are bred for particular purposes. So a greyhound who's, who's fat and slow would not be a good greyhound, right? Because you want them to be very fast. A bull mastiff who was very skinny and was very fast would not be a very good bull mastiff because they're bred for what, defending things, right? 
Dalmatians, you know, interestingly enough, what are Dalmatians originally bred for? War dogs. They fought with the Dalmatians out on the battlefield. That's why they became such good dogs for firemen. Not very good dogs for children, as people learned in the 1990s, I think, when too many of them were biting kids. So each thing has its own particular set of purposes, and what makes it beautiful or ugly is it's meeting those purposes or failing to meet them. Things are beautiful to the extent that they attain their natural development. The Greek for that is katatin altufusin, according to their own nature, kras echoi, right? To become literally the best that they could be, to be in the best condition that they could be. So each kind of thing has some, not necessarily final state, but at least a range of states in which it's in its proper condition, right? And we could say the same thing about other things as well, like objects like ties. What makes for a good tie? Well, it should be of a certain length. Like if I try to wear a tie that's too short for me, it's not going to look good, right? Because I have a long torso, I'm a tall guy. Maybe the tie needs to complement the color of the shirt or pick whatever else you, you like about it. It could be too wide, too narrow, doesn't tie well at the knot, you know, if it's made of the wrong material. You get where this is going, right? A camera. What makes for a Kalos camera, a beautiful camera, it'd probably be functionality. Also, the design, does it feel right in the hands? You know, we can go on and on. The blackboard has a certain beauty to it, doesn't it? Which is why I use a blackboard instead of a whiteboard. We can go on and on about these sorts of examples. So for each thing, it has its own sort of natural principles of development. Now, how does this work for human beings? What makes a person, whether it's a male or a female, or, you know, whatever we're going to decide counts as genders in the future, what makes a person in general beautiful? This is where we get to a really interesting point. It's not their physical appearance. It's not how they dress. It's not what their face looks like. It's not whether they wear makeup or, or don't, or need to wear makeup or don't need to wear makeup. It's not whether they're fat or thin. It's not any of those sorts of things. What is it then that makes a person in general beautiful? He says, excellence. The virtues. He says, what makes a person beautiful? Is it not the presence of a person's excellence? Very well then. Do you too, if you wish to be beautiful, labor to achieve this. The excellence that characterizes a person. What is that? Well, observe who they are, who you yourself praise. When you praise people dispassionately. When you're not playing favorites, what attributes do you think a good person, an admirable person, an attractive person, the kind of person you want to hang out with, it's another way of thinking about Kalos, what sort of attributes do they have? And, you know, the suggestions that he has might not immediately come to mind, but they, they really do make sense if you think it through. Do you want to hang out with the just or the unjust? Who do you praise? Who do you like to be with? People who are fair? People who you can count on when they've made a promise to follow through on that? Or people who go back on their promises and play favorites and who you can't really trust? The just. Justice is something that goes into the beauty of a human being as a human being. What else? The temperate or the dissolute? Now, if we come from a kind of party environment where we're like, yeah, I gotta drink as much as we possibly can, score as much action with whatever sex you want, and that makes you a cool person, we're gonna have a hard time understanding what he means by temperance. 
All you got to do is live a while with people in you know circumstances where those sorts of things have consequences, and you start to get tired of the people who are party animals and start to say, I kind of like this guy over here who has it together, you know, who can go out for a night of drinking and not require us to stay up until bar time or who isn't going to sleep with my spouse, or who isn't going to wreck the car and then, you know, walk away from it. Well, that would be justice more than temperance, although intemperance could lead to that. So this is another character trait. And then he goes on, the self-controlled or the uncontrolled. So in making yourself this kind of person, we could say, you know, what about the courageous? What about the prudent? In making yourself that kind of person, you are doing way more to improve your beauty than you can by anything that you put into your physical appearance. In some respects, it's harder too. It takes more effort to work on being a just person, a courageous person, a prudent person, a self-controlled person, a courageous person, than it does to go to the gym or to diet or to go and get work done, as they say, right? Or any of these other sorts of things. Walk around with a book on your head to learn how to walk nicely or put some marbles in your mouth for elocution lessons. What really makes us beautiful, according to Epictetus, what makes us more attractive is what goes into us as a human being. And that applies to men just as much as it applies to women. It's not as if courage is something radically different in one gender or another, or wisdom, or temperance, or any of these sorts of things. So that is a general thing that we want to take forward from it. If we're talking about our physical appearance, though, and that's where he's going to talk to this young man, sexual difference, according to Epictetus, tells us how we ought to look. And he's not saying that every single man needs to be some big burly type and every single woman needs to be some lithe little thing, but he's saying that there is some physical difference observable between the two sexes or the two genders. However, we're going to talk about it. I don't want to get into a big thing about that. Beauty is going to be on the basis for Epictetus on realizing what it is that you've been given. So, you know, for somebody like me, for example, this is about as much beard as it's going to be, in part because it doesn't grow up here, right? So I, I wasn't gifted in that way. I'm not going to grow sideburns. But, you know, Epictetus would be proud of me for at least having the goatee because it's important for a man to have facial hair for Epictetus. A lot of this is, in a certain sense, societally bound, right? But he's saying, look, nature has given you this. This is what you ought to have. If a woman, on the other hand, has a big bushy beard, things look a little odd, right? So he, he wouldn't be, you know, this isn't an issue for us, but he wouldn't be in favor of women going out and getting fake mustaches and wearing them all over the place or, or big beards, uh, you know, which you could do in a costume shop. And he's saying, beautify the person that you actually have been endowed with. You didn't choose which gender you were given. So if you're born a man, then you should beautify the man that you are. If you're a woman, then you should beautify the woman that you are. And, you know, again, we could go into all sorts of discussions about gender and sexuality and how, that it, how it fits in here. This is Epictetus's view that he's articulating. And so he tells this young man, you don't need to be spending so much time on your bodily attentions, you could say. The things that you're focusing on, like pulling out your hairs. You, you actually should have hair. You should have hairy legs and, you know, hairy arms. 
because that's the way you're made. Focus more on these virtues, right? But uh, on the physical thing, it's enough that you take a bath once in a while and comb your hair and look presentable. That's as far as it needs to go. So what would Epictetus think about what's been happening over the last 20 years with the proliferation of all sorts of creams and lotions and treatments and all that sort of stuff that, that men get now just as much as women, Epictetus would actually be against it. He would say, that's kind of a waste of time and you're taking your good nature and you're, you're throwing it away, trying to be something that you're really not suited for being. If you're a greyhound, you're a greyhound. If you're a mastiff, you're a mastiff. Be the best mastiff that you can be. Be the best greyhound that you can be. He's not saying don't take any care about physical appearance, but he's saying do what actually fits the, the kind of person that you are. So he'll go on. And the other thing that he says too is don't worry so much about what is in demand among society. So he says, you know, are you a man or a woman? A man. Very well then. Adorn a man and not a woman. Then the guy responds and he says, who do you wish to please? Frail womankind? Please them as a man. And then the guy says, yeah, but they like smooth men. They like guys who have gone to the sauna or not gone to the sauna. They've, go they've gone and gotten waxed or stuff like that. And Epictetus says, forget that. Who cares what they like? You don't need to appeal to that. He says, is this your business in life? Is this what you were born for? That some licentious women should take pleasure in you? Shall we make a man like you a citizen of Corinth and perhaps a warden of the city? What about when you're married? Are you still going to pluck out your hairs? For whom and for what end? And when you've begotten boys, are you going to introduce them to the body of citizens as plucked creatures too? No, this is, this is kind of silly stuff. We might say the same thing about many of the, the other things that we do in terms of style and beauty, like tanning, for example. Does tanning really serve a, a purpose? Not really. A lot of cosmetics, Epictetus would probably say, would go by the wayside. Many of our treatments that we do, the ones that actually improve health and thereby improve vigor and appearance, he'd probably say, that sounds great. But a lot of the stuff that we do that's purely cosmetic, that we call aesthetic, he would say that doesn't have much to do with genuine beauty. So these are his views on personal appearance and beauty. They go far beyond the particular instance of the unfortunate man who comes to him and gets a little bit of gentle ribbing by Epictetus. And they tell us what the Stoic thinks about what makes a person genuinely beautiful. Special thanks to all of my Patreon supporters for making this podcast possible. You can find me on Twitter at Philosopher70, on YouTube at the Gregory B. Sadler channel, and on Facebook on the Gregory B. Sadler page. Once again, to support my work, go to patreon.com Sadler. Above all, keep studying these great philosophical works. <laughs>